You're dead, Blue. You're dead. My boys are going to hunt your ass down and put a bullet in you and anybody with you. Just another Saturday night. Anybody who has spent any time on the job has heard one of their arrestees threatening to murder them. You're nothing without a badge. Take these cuffs off and I'm going to kick your ass. One day, when you're eating lunch, I'm going to shoot you in the head, bitch. You learn to roll with the threats. They're almost always high and angry. Most of the time, they're just running their mouth and nothing will ever come of it. Occasionally, you get that funny feeling between your shoulder blades and decide this one might be serious. So you hit them with a charge of felony intimidation on a law enforcement officer. Of course, when you do that, your bosses don't like it and say, What? Are you scared? That usually doesn't go over well. Also, the charge never sticks because the prosecutor drops it immediately saying that it's your job to be threatened and the bad guy can say whatever they want. Unfortunately, law enforcement today is much different than in the past. In the past, when cops got killed, it was because they got in the middle of something. Today, the bad guys are following up on those threats. It's not just high and angry anymore. Today, bad guys are intentionally hunting and killing cops. Today, it's a war on cops. It's time to start telling our own stories. I'm Steve Kellums, and welcome to Blue Canary. There are a lot of people, including those in our profession, that don't like to hear the phrase, war on cops. They feel it will promote the us-versus-them mentality and broaden the divide between the working police officer and the public they serve. In 2014, Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson shot and killed Michael Brown after Brown violently attacked him. That's right. Contrary to what you've heard from the media, social justice pundits, and professional athletes, the investigation, evidence, and grand jury all agree that Darren Wilson was Michael Brown's victim and that the shooting was in self-defense. This incident sparked a year of national protest focusing on police and police brutality and the public attack against police and policing in America. In 2016, Heather McDonald, a Thomas W. Smith fellow for the Manhattan Institute and a conservative political commentator wrote, The War on Cops, How the New Attack on Law and Order Makes Everyone Less Safe. In this book, she coined the term Ferguson Effect and detailed that effect while looking at the history of anti-police movements and decarceration activism. This really jump-started the conversation on violence against police officers. When we say war on cops, the anti-police movement will give that dismissive sigh, the one that conveys you're stupid, crazy, or so uninformed you're not worth their time. When forced to defend their assertion that there is no war on cops, they start with these tired talking points. Number one, a police officer's job isn't dangerous. This is probably my favorite. This is a straw man argument that likes to use statistics with little facts to paint a picture that law enforcement is statistically not a dangerous job. According to data on fatal injury rates for 72 occupations from the Bureau of Labor Statistics Census of Fatal Occupational Injuries, police and sheriff's patrol officers rank 18th on a list of top 25 dangerous jobs in the country. The number one most dangerous job is fishing. Number two lumberjack, and those two professions have traded places a number of times over the years. But cops aren't even in the top 10. 
And this is where the anti-police movement like to hang their hat. There can't be a war on cops when being a cop isn't even as dangerous as being a fisherman or a lumberjack. I've actually seen a number of police recruiting flyers that will parrot this statement. Come be a cop. It's not as dangerous as you think. Except this statement, while statistically true, ignores the extremely toxic issue of interpersonal violence and how it affects our profession. How do fishermen die? Accidents. How do lumberjacks die? Accidents. How do cops die? People try to kill us. You see, that is the fact about deaths in law enforcement. People go out of their way to murder police officers. On July 7th, 2021, Terre Haute, Indiana Detective Gregory Ferency was shot and killed while exiting the Terre Haute FBI offices. The shooter had intentionally targeted the FBI offices and ambushed and murdered the first officer he encountered. Can you give me an incident in which a fisherman or lumberjack were murdered at their place of employment simply because of the job they had? I didn't think so. While the number of officers who die in the line of duty might not rise to the statistical level of the fisherman or lumberjack, the manner in which they die is far more impactful to the community, the profession, and the individual officers. Living every day with this type of threat is physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausting, and if you factored in the manner in which officers die on the job, it would make us the most dangerous profession. As of April 3rd, 2023, there have been 99 police officers shot in the line of duty. That number is up 57% from 2020 and 41% from 2021. 10 officers have been killed by gunfire, and interestingly, that number is down 23% from 2020 and down 31% from 2021. Since shootings are up, it's not for the lack of trying. It's due to the better tactical responses, life-saving equipment like tourniquets becoming standard, and quick, effective medical treatment. Finally, we see that there have been 27 ambush-style attacks on police between January 1st, 2023 and April 3rd, 2023. Ambush-style attacks are defined as a premeditated attack that involves planning and a calculated execution of the plan. In other words, the bad guys plan to kill the cops from the beginning. Number two, people are not at war with police, but police are at war with people. This argument is another fun one because it simply ignores the conversation about violence against police officers because they are police and tries to change the subject. The statement in and of itself proves the point. By blatantly disregarding the issues around planned and targeted violence against police, it begins the process of dehumanizing. It makes it easier to victimize. When a cop isn't a person, they can be killed. This statement goes a step further by immediately declaring that the police are not victims of violence, but the perpetrators of it. The police become the bad guy. That means that those who stand up to the police, resist the police, and even kill the police are heroes to the community. When a cop is the bad guy, they should be killed. Number three, declaring a war on cops allows the police to become more like an occupying force and less like members of the community. Once again, we have another statement that denies a war on cops because they're afraid that the police will respond harshly to the community if a war in fact exists. This argument is the human version of an ostrich sticking its head in the sand. If you don't see it, then it can't happen, right? Wrong. The thing I hate about this argument is that it's predominantly made by cops, or should I say retired cops, police administrators, and the people in charge. 
The sentiment is that by declaring it to be real will cause more harm and chaos than admitting to the truth. I think that says a lot about what these people really think of the working officer today. We have some of the finest people in the world signing up to protect their communities and serve their fellow human beings. They swear an oath and go out of the way every day trying to make a difference. Sure, you can get a bunker mentality when every call you go on and every person you meet are the worst that humanity has to offer, but they still do it. They do it for the common good. By admitting that there is a group of people in our society that are intentionally trying to kill police just because they are police won't automatically make all of these officers suddenly evil thugs. By supporting the police officers in the community, hearing their fears and problems, and providing them with the resources and tools to protect themselves and the community can go a long way to winning the war on cops. The Legal Liability Risk Management Institute is the nation's largest provider of liability and risk management services in the United States. Our goal is to help reduce liability, reduce lawsuits, and enhance officer performance. Regardless of the size of your agency, we have a risk management solution. You may contact us at www.llrmi.com or call 317-386-8325. Is there a war on cops? The short answer is yes. The longer answer is yes, but it's complicated. Let's just look at some numbers for the last two years. These numbers have been compiled by the Fraternal Order of Police and focus solely on police officers shot in the line of duty. They don't cover officers that were intentionally run over by the suspects or officers that were stabbed or physically assaulted. We're just looking at the gun numbers, and they're sobering enough. In 2021, there were 346 police officers shot in the line of duty. 63 officers were killed by gunfire, and there were 103 ambush attacks on police. Think about that. That means somewhere in the United States, a police officer is getting shot every day, and they're being ambushed every three days. The numbers got slightly better in 2022, but only slightly with 331 officers shot in the line of duty, 62 officers killed by gunfire, and 89 ambush-style attacks on cops. Those numbers are close enough that it's probably fair to say little changed from one year to the next. If you remember the numbers from April 3rd, 2023, I reported earlier in the episode, there have been 99 police officers shot in the line of duty. That's 99 cops in only 93 days. It's not getting any better. But what did I mean when I said it's complicated? When I say there's a war on cops, I'm not referring to the basic definition of war armed conflict between nation states or different groups within a nation or state. I'm talking about fourth generation warfare. Fourth generation warfare was a term first used in the 1980s, and it is conflict characterized by a blurring of the lines between war and politics, combatants and civilians. The use of fourth generation warfare can be traced to the Cold War period as superpowers and major powers attempted to retain their grip on the colonies and captured territories. Unable to withstand direct combat against bombers, tanks, and machine guns, non-state entities use tactics of education, propaganda, movement building, secrecy, terror, and or confusion to overcome the technological gap. How does this apply to the war on cops? Every day we are faced with the criminal element of society that is directly opposed to what we do and what we stand for. These are the people who want to see us dead, and they frequently take action to kill us. This is the traditional side of the war on cops. The second front we must face is the anti-police establishment who wish to eliminate law enforcement through political means. 
These are the politicians who defund the police departments, the city and the county councils who cut funding or, more frequently, claim to support the department by raising the annual budget by 2% every year. Even though due to growth, inflation, and calls for service, the department needed a 7% increase. These politicians claim they support their departments, but in reality only cause more harm and force departments to cut staffing or work shorthanded to meet their budget requirements. The second front is also made up of the activist prosecutors and judges who get elected and then refuse to enforce the laws made by the legislature. These are the prosecutors who refuse to charge a criminal for assaulting an officer and will frequently say it's the cop's job to get assaulted. These are the judges who give criminals lenient sentences so they can get out and victimize again. These activists push decriminalization and believe that they can solve crime by making everything legal. Finally, we have a third element, the social media front. This is the group that march in the streets and protest against police, the rioters with the ACAB signs, the professional athletes with their social justice slogans on their shoes, the famous actor espousing anti-police rhetoric on their TikTok page. This group also contains the professional media, from the 24-hour news programs to the major Hollywood movies. All cops are bastards is everywhere. What makes this three-pronged attack so dangerous is that the politicians and the media are emboldening the criminal element to kill cops. After all, you'll be a hero if you kill a cop. They will talk about you forever if you kill a cop. Your name will be written on the shoes of an athlete and they will make a movie about you because after all, you can't be a bad guy if you're fighting evil and cops are evil. This is why there is a war on cops. We have to understand it and recognize it. Then we have to take the steps to fight back, but not in the way they think. You see, they're already prepared to call you worse names for defending yourself. Angry, arrogant, embarrassed, stupid. That's what they expect, but we're better than that. First, get better training. Encourage your department to provide the basic training for your job, and when they fail to give you what you need, go out and get more training. Get comfortable with your firearm and practice often. Get better at physical control tactics and take outside classes if you need to. Take care of your body and get in peak physical shape. Stay professional and watch out for each other. Be smart. Don't take on more than you can handle and don't respond to calls without backup. Second, advocate for your profession. Go to the city and county council meetings. Speak out about issues with the department, such as lack of training and poor equipment. Work closely with your local union or bargaining unit, or think about starting one. Find advocates in the community and build community trust and confidence. Get those advocates to be vocal about the community needs. Communicate closely with the local prosecutor's office and make your dissatisfaction known when they dismiss charges. Third, fight back against social media. Use social media and traditional media to get your story out. Post frequently to your accounts and encourage your employees to share those posts as often as possible. Set up regular meetings with local press outlets, specifically local newspapers if you're lucky enough to have one, and radio stations. Set reoccurring times to go on the local shows and defend your department and the officers, or just share the good stories going on in your agency. Start your own newsletter, not just for the employees, but for the community. Try and let everyone feel like they're part of the team. Like I said, this is a complicated subject, and I'm going to spend time over the next season talking in more detail about some of these issues. And finally, for those out there that are still not sure that there's a war on cops, 
Well, just ask Justin McIntyre, Darnell Calhoun, Gonzalo Carrasco Jr., Sean L. Slagansky, Peter E.C. Jerving, Christopher D. Fitzgerald, Jeffrey Red, Andreas M. Vasquez Lasso, James R. Bailey, Mason Griffith, Garrett Crumby, Nicholas Pepper, Emily Ann Breedenbach, Hunter Timothy Scheele, Trevor Abney, Josh Owen, Joseph Johnson, Arena M. Preston, Katie Leasing, Robert Schisler, Joshua Klaus. But you can't ask them because they've been murdered this year. And that's the story we have to tell. Thank you for joining. As always, I'm curious what questions you're getting asked. What isn't the news covering? What story needs to be told? Connect with me at bluecanarypodcast at gmail.com. 